We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. You know, God is wanting to stir up our faith. You know, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I would venture to say that maybe some of us here, um, part of the reason that we're struggling is because we're not really walking by faith. You know, we're walking by logic, we're walking by reason, we're walking by feelings. And, you know, you're not really doing things that would seem, you know, to be steps of faith. Or even at times you need to wait on the Lord by faith. You know, and so I really want to encourage you guys, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, to be in the Bible, to be listening to the voice of God, so that as he leads you, someone might say, well, that's kind of weird what you're doing. It's kind of different. And all you can tell them is the Lord has spoken to me. The Lord has shown me in his word or through a still small voice. And you take a step or whatever, you take a step back that to some they don't understand, but to you, it's because you're walking by faith. It's not just logic. It's not just reason. It's faith. And when you begin to walk by faith, you're going to see God do amazing works in your life. We're going to grow. And I, and I think that that's why the Lord is allowing all these things to happen you know, to us as a church and to us as individuals and to us as families is because God wants us to grow. He really does grow deeper in our relationship with him. And so in tonight's study, we're going to talk about Elisha. And this guy right here, really cool guy. Um, if you guys, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but you know, Elijah and then Elisha. And then sometimes we get them mixed up, but they're two guys that follow each other. And you guys know, who is Elijah a picture of in the New Testament? Does anybody know? John the Baptist, right? And that one's kind of an easy one. But just as Jesus followed John, a lot of people believe that Elisha is a picture of Jesus because Elisha follows Elijah. And you're going to see his compassion. And you're going to see this the amazing work that God does through his life. And so it's cool studying his life. Look what it says here in 2 Kings chapter 3. It says in verse 1, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now, one of the things we're going to see in our study tonight, and this is a lesson that we always have to keep in mind, is that, that that power of influence. The power of influence is amazing. You know, you know, my dad, thank God, he knows the Lord now. And it's so cool what God is doing in his life. He wrote me a letter, a beautiful letter. He, he gave my daughter a beautiful card for her birthday with some money in it. You know, I, I just, I love my dad. But growing up, he wasn't there. I still remember holding on to his leg. I was just a little guy the day that he left. You know, so when I grew up, I was like, well, I don't want to be like that. By God's grace, I said, I want to have a family. You know, but most people, the bottom line is, 
they're going to do what they've been shown. They're going to model their parents. They're going to model their, you know, they're going to do what their models showed them to do. And we're going to see that tonight, the influence, even maybe your grandparents. Sometimes it's by nature, uh, but, you know, even I was thinking today, we're teaching the Bible, and we, we do worship, and then we teach the Bible here at Calvary Chapel Almani. Why? Because Pastor Chuck did. Pastor Chuck is influencing us. God showed him something so beautiful, simple. Worship the Lord from your heart. Open the Bible and teach it. And so now it's one generation. And then these guys after him, just worshiping and teaching the Bible. Now here we are, a third generation. How many of you here, you're influenced by your grandparents? You're influenced by people. You're influenced by your parents. Every once in a while, you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. But in the majority of the time, you do what you've been shown, and it's so cool. And so think about that in your life. Okay, right now, you may think you're not influencing anybody, but you are. And prayerfully, just by God's grace, that we will have some type of a good impact on the next generation and on the future generations. We're going to see that today uh, woven through our study um, look at verse 3, that he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. And so that was back in 1 Kings chapter 13, if you remember, when, this, when the kingdom was divided. Jeroboam didn't want the people to go down to the southern kingdom, so he invented a new religion. <laughs> he set up a, you know, a, the calf in the northern area of Dan and down in the southern area. And he just said, hey, you know, here's a new religion for us. And that guy, he influenced for bad generation after generation after generation. And so I want to encourage you guys today, don't think that you're not going to make a difference. You will. It could be for bad. But if we get our life right, it could actually be for good. And that's what we want. But we're going to see that woven through our study today. This king right here, Jehoram, he, uh, he became king. He, he didn't do too good. It says there in verse 2, he did evil on the side of the Lord. Um, he put away the Baals for a while. Later on, we're going to see he brought him back. And so he just wasn't right with the Lord. He worshipped the calf. We read that in verse 3. But what ended up happening, it says in verse 4, Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And so King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and he mustered all Israel. And then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And then he said, well, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. And so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them, and alas, the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. 
And so, you know, Moab rebels. We even saw that in chapter 1, verse 1, Moab rebels. King Ahab, if you study the history of Israel, he was a real strong leader as far as the political element goes. Um, but he was a wicked leader, but he was a strong leader nonetheless. And so when he dies, you know, his son Ahaziah, we studied him last week, you know, he became king, but then he dies. And so now his little brother is king. And so he's a weak leader, kind of a weak leader. And so Moab says, okay, I'm going to test him. I'm going to rebel against this guy. I'm not going to pay him the tribute that I normally pay him. And so uh, the king of Israel, what he does is he says to Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, hey, will you help me out? And then as they're traveling through, somehow the word gets over to uh, Edom as well. And, you know, they're going to help him out as well. And then what ends up happening is as they're going and they're traveling to Moab, and we're going to look at the map in just a second, there's no water and the king of Israel, he says, you know what? Now he brings up the Lord. He blames it on the Lord now. He uses the name of Yahweh. He says, man, he, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us. All, he brought us all together to kill us. And, and you want to know something? I was reading that right there, and I was just thinking, you know what? How many times in my life where I am just a doubting Thomas? I'm a doubting Thomas. You know, I'm like, man, the Lord left me. No, he didn't. The Lord's still with you because of Jesus. You know, oh, this is all bad and this is all going to end up in a, in a terrible thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. God is with us. God is going to do a great work in your life and in the life of your family and in this ministry. God's going to do a great work, but the devil wants to come in and he whispers those voices of defeat. And if you listen to those voices of defeat, they're, they're, you will be defeated. Don't listen to those voices. You know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I hear those voices as soon as I wake up and I don't even want to get out of bed. Do you guys ever, does anybody ever feel like that? I don't even want to get out of bed, Lord. And the Lord reminds me, no, I'm still with you. I love you and I'm going to do a great plan. I got great things going on, even though it's not easy. The reason is because now you're not in the minor leagues anymore. I want you to grow, you know, and before you weren't growing, you need trials in your life. You need to grow. You need to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to fast. You need to learn how to seek me. And so you got these guys together, and the king of Israel, he's like, you know, you know look what he says again right there in verse 10, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. We're defeated. It's over. It's a done deal. Don't listen to the devil when he says that to you, okay? Look at the map. We have right here a map of their journey. Um, I think we do. Okay, the next one shows a better... That one right there, well, <laughs> let's see. If go back to the previous map. And that one right there shows you a little bit of the divided kingdom. You see Judah right there on the south, Israel on the north. And uh, if you go to the next one, though, we see a little bit more of the context of today. Um, what you find, you can barely see it, but up there is Samaria. That's the capital of Israel. And so they journey down, probably about a four-day journey, and they come into Judah, and they pick up the soldiers from Judah, and then they travel another few days down here. And you see Edom in the south? 
they're kind of going to go through here and then they're going to attack Moab um, from the south. A lot of people say the reason they didn't attack them from the north is because the, north, uh, the northern border of Moab was very, very fortified. And so they come down this route, and as they're down here, they have no drinkable water. And that's the, the, the case. They've been marching now for seven days, at least the ones that have come from Israel have, and, uh, and they think, you know, it's over. They think it's over, but it's not over. It's not over, because look what ends up happening. We read in verse 11, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And so one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, they went down to him. And then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. There's his words of defeat again. This guy is kind of like a broken record, huh? I mean, he just thinks it's over. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So you're in a tough situation. You're in, you just feel oppressed. You feel depressed. You are being harassed by the enemy he just wants to he wants to kill you he wants to ruin you he wants to ruin your family and you're hearing those lies that say it's over but then you get the good counsel right here from jehoshaphat he says hold on a second is there a word from the lord is there a prophet of the lord here of the real god the living god and, and, you know, they're like, well, yeah, there is this guy, Elisha. And I love the way they described Elisha, that he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was such a faithful servant for six years, right? And so what ends up happening is they go to Elisha and they draw him up. And Elisha sees the king of Israel, Jehoram, and he says, what are you calling me for? I wouldn't even talk to you. I, you know, go seek your own God, right? Because the, God, the king of Israel was not a believer in Jehovah God. But he said, because of Jehoshaphat, he says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give you the word. Now look again there at verse 14. As, and Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. You go back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and you want to know what Elijah said? As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. He said the same thing that Elisha said. See, and that was kind of like what I was sharing earlier. You know, the influence. You're praying. And I know it sounds kind of funky, you know, but they're listening to your prayer. They, they pray the same way you pray. They're influenced by you. 
You know, I remember one time I went to a study and it, it took me, to, I was actually in South America and one of the pastors was up there and saying, what if everybody, you know, prayed like you pray? What if everybody read their Bibles the way you read your Bible? You know, what if everybody lived their life the way you live? How would everybody be? And you kind of have that in the back of your mind. Elisha here was heavily influenced by Elijah so much so that he says the same thing as the Lord lives before whom I stand. And so he says, okay, I'll go ahead and talk because this guy Jehoshaphat has a, has a good heart. He's a good king. And so what does he do? He says, this is what I need you to do though. First, I need you to call me, I need you to bring me a musician. That's what he says right there in verse 15. But now bring me a musician. And, and you wonder, well, why is that? Did, you know, did he want to dance? I mean, did he like the groove? I mean, why did he want music? And for the same thing, why do we play music before the study? You know, why? Is it to give people time to get here? You know, because they're going to hit traffic and we have to have like a little buffer, you know, time and stuff? No way. No way. You guys know. Uh, you guys know the power of music and the power of worship. The power of worship. You know, I don't know if you've experienced it. I don't know if you've let yourself surrender to that, that, that point. But man, when, when, you're, when you're worshiping the Lord, when you're here and that music is going out and you're, you're reading these words and sometimes your hands are lifted up, I lift my hands again to believe. What does God do? God begins to soften your heart. God begins to open up your spiritual senses. You know, I really want to encourage you guys, and that was one of the things that Calvary Chapels, they really emphasized was the worship and the heartfelt worship. Whatever you do, don't come in here. And I know it's hard to, to break through. You know, even, I'll, I'll use this as an example, like I'll wake up in the morning and I might, I might throw some headphones on. And I got to like soften my heart. I, 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 like John in the book of Revelation, it says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then he, he saw the revelation. He saw the vision. I mean, it, it can't just be like, you know, something like mechanical. It's supernatural. We have to be in the spirit. And sometimes the Lord will use music uh, to do that. Now, music can also be used for negative stuff, right? Have you guys ever noticed that? Some of the beats that are out there, some of the words that are out there, some people, I believe, have literally committed suicide. They've taken their life because of the negative music, while others have actually found life because of the positive music. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of, and some people, you know, they can play the guitar, and they can play the piano, and they might have a good voice, but here's what I've learned. There has to be an anointing of God on their life. An anointing. And you know, and I really pray, you know, we're blessed. We need, we need more musicians though. That's a good prayer for us as a church. Lord, bring us more musicians. Bring us a, another musician, you know, a bass player more, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, that's a good prayer. Elisha asked that. 
The, the, they brought him a musician. Maybe it was like David. Remember the harp? You know, I don't know. Remember? I don't know exactly the whole thing, but it happened that when the musician played, I love this, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Right? And so we read in verse 16, and he said, thus says the Lord, this is what you're going to do. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stone. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And so, you know, you're in your, you're in your tough situation and, and, and you've got to hear the word of the Lord. It's not going to be something that's probably going to be typical. It's going to be something that that God shows you. And so in this case, when they didn't have water, what does the Lord tell them to do? Dig ditches. Okay, I want you to get a shovel, I want you to get a pick, or whatever, and I want you to start digging ditches. And, uh, you know, um, you might look at that and just kind of glance by it and think, well, that's not really a big deal, you know. But it is. They haven't had any water, they haven't had any rain, the ground's hard. They're tired. That sounds like a funky plan to me, to dig ditches. You know, I remember when we were in Cambodia, digging ditches. I, I almost died, you know, digging ditches. I remember when I used to work construction, digging ditches. That's not easy work. And so we're in our life, and when, it doesn't, when it's not easy... We just want to, it's like, I want to, it's not, I'm not worth, it's not worth it. God's going to tell you to do something hard. You know, to dig a ditch is not easy. You know? And what would the Lord do whether you're over there digging ditches? How much water are you going to get? It depends on how deep those ditches you dig. Whatever it is the Lord shows you to do, it's not going to make sense to other people. That's okay, because the Lord showed you to do it. It might not be reasonable to, you know, the, the guy over there who has his degree. It's okay, the Lord told you to do it. And you go and you dig ditches. You go and you quit your job. You go and you wait on the Lord, and no one else would understand, but it's something that you know you have to do because the Lord showed you. And, you know, the Lord just says, and when you dig ditches and there's going to be rain there, you're going to have water and, uh, and I love what it says right here. Look what it says in verse 18. Don't you love this? And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. Don't you like that? You know, you're like, I, I'm pulling out my hair. I know I don't have a lot of hair, but I'm pulling it out, you know. And I'm worrying and I'm fretting. And the Lord just says, believe in me. Believe in me again. You know, have a simple faith because it's a simple matter for the Lord. 
You know, it's real simple. Your situation, our situation, is very simple. I don't know what it is that he's going to have you to do, but it's very simple for the Lord to make things the way that he wants them to be. And he will work in your life, and he will work through your life. And you're going to go home, and you're going to be a different man. Because it's a simple matter for the Lord to make us into godly men. Do you think that's difficult for the Lord? It's not difficult for the Lord. All you have to do is surrender your will and be broken to him. And you know you walk in wisdom. For the men, for the women here, for the single people here, for the married, the husband, the wife. We complicate it. You know, Luke chapter 1, I love what it says in verse 37. You know, how am I going to be born, have a baby? I haven't been with a man, Mary says. And the angel says, simple, God's going to do it. For with God, nothing is impossible. And when your crisis, and when your problem and when your situation, and you're in there in a dry and a thirsty land, and you're just dying, you know, to get some water, God just says, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to dig ditches. I want you to dig deep. And I want you to believe. And then you watch what I do. It's a simple matter. And I'm going to change you, Manny. You know, because you've been a Christian now for 22 years. And you still have a lot of changing to do. And you need to be broken in your home. And your home needs to be different. Your home needs to be like a light. And God says, I can do it if you let me, if you believe in me. You know, when I read this right here, um, you know, today on Facebook, uh, a person posted a, a, a thing on Facebook and, and it said this verse, for with God nothing will be impossible. And then she put, you can take this to the bank. And you know, you read that and you might not be all that impressed with that post, just like a host of others you might think, but with God nothing is impossible. You can take this to the bank. I know the background of what she's going through. And I know the impossible situation that she was facing for years with her husband, who was just way out there, a hundred miles away. A hundred miles away of unfaithfulness. But this girl, I knew her a long time ago, and you know, her walk with the Lord was kind of like this. It was. It was kind of like this. But then when this trial hit her life, I saw a totally different person. And I remember talking to her on the phone one day, and I was just thinking, are you the same person? Let me see. <laughs> I asked her a couple of questions. No, I'm just joking. I totally, totally, a total believer total believer and so over the years just consistent you know definitely stronger than me just consistent 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 and then one day years later there is a breakthrough 
in her husband's life. And she wasn't nagging him. She wasn't like putting tracks in his lunch. It was just she had her walk and her eyes on the Lord. And God did a work. Now, I'm not saying it always works out that way, but I'm saying our lives work out that way. Because with God, it says right here, it's a simple matter. But we have to make sure that we walk by, by faith and not by sight. We dig those ditches, even though sometimes it's very difficult to do. But God will provide the water of his word. God will provide the water of his Holy Spirit. And you're going to see the Lord do an awesome work. And so we read in verse 21, And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. And then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. And so when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. And then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. In other words, this is talking about, a, a, this is really describing a complete victory a complete victory and they threw a stone on every good piece of land and they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees but they left the stones of Ker Haraseth intact however the slingers surrounded and attacked it and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom but they could not and then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against, notice it's against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. And so the, the water, you know, that was there, they dug the water, they dug the ditches, the water goes in, they're able to drink. When the enemy looks at the water, they see it as blood and they think that these three armies have fought against each other and God uses the whole thing to make a long story short for their victory. For their victory. And why does the Lord write this? Because he wants us to have victory. That's why. You know, he wants something to change. You know, he wants, you know, the Lord wants to do a new work. He wants to do a deeper work. You know, and when you see this whole thing take place and they go in and they're, you know, they're conquering Moab. Um, you know, the king of uh, Edom uh, is there. They want to break into him. May think, well, maybe they can at least get him on their side. That's probably with the logic of verse 26. He, he couldn't do it. And so they end up sacrificing his eldest son. I mean, just the ugliness of the retaliation. What that does is that then brings up an indignation against Israel. They're like, oh man, look what you made us do. And so what ends up happening, they go back. It says right there, they departed from him and returned to their own land. And we read in chapter 4, verse 1, that a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, 
your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, the Hebrew word right here for jar of oil is just like a, a, like a little flask. It's not a big jar. It's just a, it's a little one for anointing, right? And so in verse 3, Elisha said, uh, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour into all these vessels and set aside the full ones. And so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, how many of you here are in debt? No, I'm just joking. I won't ask you that. You're like, hey, I got a plan. Oh, man, so many of us probably are financially hurting, huh? God's going to help you dig yourself out of that. You got to be good stewards. We got to pray. It's got to be the Lord, right? But he'll help us, right? But when you read this story right here, and um, we, we're not sure. We know that Samuel started a school for the prophets. Some say maybe this was even through that whole thing. We know Elijah and Elisha, they had the school of the prophets. And so this guy right here obviously was a good guy, and he dies. And so his wife comes to Elisha, and, and, and you know, she just asks, you know, what should I do? This doesn't make any sense. You know, how am I going to pay off my debts? They're coming to take my sons. And even in the Jewish law, if you owed money, the, the Jewish guys could be slaves until the year of Jubilee. Who knows when that was? And so she's, she's in a hard spot. And again, what's the answer? Well, you know, go to Bank of America, sweetheart. Go down there and, you know, to refinance the house or whatever, you know. And, I mean, what's the answer? Oh, Visa, MasterCard. <laughs> what's the answer? The Lord. The Lord. Do you think the Lord is poor? No, he's rich. He'll provide for us. He'll provide for you. But it's just like, you know, the doctors, like when we get sick physically, sometimes we won't go to the Lord, we go to the doctors. It's okay to go to the doctors, but go to the Lord first. Finances. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord first. Take a step of faith. God will show you what to do. She says, what should I do? Elisha says, well, this is what you do. What, when here's what he says, what do you have? Usually the Lord will work with, what do you have? Well, I've just got, you know, a few fish and some, some bread. Give it to the Lord. And then he fed the 5,000 plus women and children. What do you have? Well, God will just take what do you have. The widow, she just had a, a mite couple mites what do you have you don't have to go and get new stuff what do you have well this is all i have i have a flask of oil it says okay we'll start from there 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and you want to ask your neighbors, hey, you guys have any vessels, jars I can borrow? You know, and so, you know, her sons go and, you know, it's kind of funny. The same thing that we saw earlier. You know, we need water, so we're digging ditches, right? And so, how, how much water are you going to get? Well, how many ditches are you going to dig? How much oil are you going to get? Well, how many vessels are you going to borrow? That thing will not run out until all the vessels are full. If she would have got a hundred vessels, they would have all been full. If she would have got a thousand vessels, they would have all been full. Do you believe in God? Do we really believe in God? Are we walking by faith? Are we really walking by faith? Are we doing things His way? You know, because when we do, God will bless. Remember later on, we're going to see the same thing with Elisha. We see it over and over again. When the king comes to him, Elisha's about to die, and he says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to get an arrow, I want you to strike the ground. And so this is what the king does. This, this prophet's weird. He wants me to strike the ground with an arrow. How weird is that? You know, but I'll do it. And he gets his arrow, and he goes, you know, and he strikes the ground like that, you know, real, like, nonchalant. And you know what the prophet said? He said, man, you should have just kept striking it. Because if you did, you would have got a complete victory. But now you're only going to get three. And see, all of it, through Elisha, you see all and over who's a symbol of Jesus, all of it, it just goes back to faith. And I know what it's like. I've been there. I've been there. I struggle sometimes with my faith. And then the Lord says, man, it's almost like he gets my eyes and he goes like this and he says, look at what I have done. I've brought you this far. You think I'm going to leave you now? You got to start believing again. I mean, you got saved by faith and you're going to get sanctified by faith, not by the flesh. Yeah, but I blow it. I sin. I'm sure God's just fed up with me. Well, I'm not saying, you know, we, we take it lightly. But you know what? The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Don't let the devil lie to you. You know, you get those vessels and then that oil comes in and then, you know, God provides. It's amazing what ends up happening here. When you look at the life of Elisha, you know, and then he says, okay, go sell your debt and, you know, you guys are going to live on the rest. And so we read next in verse 8, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. I'll bet you she made homemade tortillas. I'll bet you. How many of you guys like homemade tortillas? Oh, man, they're so good. Anyways, homemade frijoles, right? Homemade salsa. It's all coming together right here, right? Uh, Maria got me some hot salsa today. Where is she? She left. Um, I, I'm all, she's all, it's really hot. And I said, you're trying to hurt me, huh? <laughs> Here's this lady, man. And so it was as often as he passed by that he would turn in there to eat some food. I think we have another map. Um, if we could show it, one more map. The one, the next one. I don't know if you guys can see this or not. 
But here is where Elisha, right there, <laughs> is where Elisha lived. And you guys see Mount Carmel up there? The little triangle? Some of you could probably see it. But it's up there right below the Kishon Valley. And Shunem is almost like right in the middle of those two. And so we're not sure. It always depends on the road, but usually a day's journey will be anywhere from 15 to 25 miles, 20 miles. And so um, there's about 20 miles and then another 20 miles, 25, right around there. And so it was a perfect middle point for Elisha. And so he went, come to Shunem and he's ready to rest. And this lady right here, you know, she, she said, hey, here's some food. As often as he passed by, he would stop there and he would grub. And so it says in verse 9, And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. And uh, you're going to see in this relationship something we see very commonly where the wife a lot of times has more spiritual discernment or even sometimes hunger than the husband. But she's sensitive and she sees it. And so in verse 10 it says, Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And so it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And I like that. Isn't that cool, you guys? Can you visualize that? They make a little room, a table, a bed, a chair, and a little lamp. Can you visualize that? I mean, to me, I'm like, cool, he doesn't need the, you know, the flat screen with the surround sound and all that. He's just in the word. His table, I love it. Table, chair, lamp, Bible, and then I go to sleep and then I go. I love this right here. And so in verse 12, he said to Gehazi, then he said to Gehazi, his servant, you know, call this woman, this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, no, I dwell among my own people. So he said to her, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and now he speaks directly to her. He said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. And it's so cool. You know, sometimes you see uh, people, sometimes it's a, it's a lady, and she, and she sees you know, that guy over there, he's a man of God. And in this case, you know, she gives him food. She gives him lodging. She sees that. And God says to her and he says to us, remember, you can never outgive God. And so then Elisha says, you know, what can I get you? And, and it's just so cool. And beyond her wildest imagination, she thought it was over, but it's not over. She's going to have a son, right? And she's like, no, don't tell me that, you know? And, 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 and Elisha said, as a matter of fact, this time next year. And, and so, you know, she had a, had a son. You know, what's, what's your desire? You're like, no, it's impossible. 
Wasn't that what we're studying tonight, that it's not impossible? Oh, it's too late. You know what? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm, we're not a name it and claim it. We're not a blab it and grab it type of people. We're not like, hey, God, you know, you're my genie. You're my vending machine. and You give me whatever I want. We're not like that. But neither should we be to the other side. There are still dreams. Dreams that God has for you. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your children, your marriage. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be rich, but even in that, God will provide. It's just so cool what God does. And so we see, you know, this lady. To me, you know, when it comes to our kids, I think that's probably you know, the best one. We read in verse 18, the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And so, you know, not, not, he can't be too big, you know. He's a, he's a little guy. Some say maybe... I mean, we don't know. I mean, we don't know what it was. Some say a sunstroke. I don't know. But, you know, he, he dies. And, and so in verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And she shut the door upon him and went out. And some people one think that the reason she did that is if she would have gone, done anything else with his body, they would have already set things in motion to bury him. Because the Jews, they do it right away. They bury right away. And so in this culture, they would do that. And so anyways, um, she puts him in the bed of the man of God. She shuts the door, and she's going to do some, some business. It says right here in verse 22, and then she called to her husband and said, please send me the Porsche, I'm just joking, the young man, <laughs> and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and don't stop at the red lights. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she went, departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. Then when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. I mean, Elisha... And I, and I know you, you might look at Elisha and you might say, well, he was just different. But I want to encourage you. The Lord can give you discernment about people. So much so that when he doesn't show you things, you're surprised. That's where Elisha was. This time he's like, well, I don't get it. I kind of don't see what's going on here. The Lord's hidden it from me. You know, she's going forward and uh, is everything okay? It is well. It is it well? It is well. It is well, right? And so in verse 28, she said, Did I ask for a son of my Lord? 
Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and, and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. And you're like, I don't get it, Lord. Why did she have to go through that? I mean, it might have been better like, for her to never have a son. It would have been kind of better for her to never have a son then have to go through the heartache of losing him. But then when he came back, what happened? Then she saw the glory of God. She would have never saw that glory of God unless she went through the hard time. And that's why we go through the hard times. And one day when we're in heaven, because we may not see everything here on earth, one day when we're in heaven, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. When I go to heaven and I see my kids there in heaven, I'm going to worship God. Sometimes He heals everybody on earth and you get to see it, it's cool. But you know, that's why we go through the hard times. So God can flex his muscles. You know, you look at this right here and you're like, man, you know, this is crazy, man. You know, and what's Elisha doing? You know, it's interesting. From what I understand, seven times in the Bible, they raise the dead. The first time, does anybody know who? Elijah. That's Elisha's homeboy, right? Mentor, right? He learned from him how to raise the dead. And you raise the dead. And you will teach others how to raise the dead. But better than just physical death. Spiritual death. Elijah, Elisha, three times Jesus did it, and then Peter and Paul, and that's it. But it's totally the Lord. Now when Elisha does it, and Elijah do it, they're begging God. Oh God, please do it. Can you imagine stretching out like this? On, on the dead body, you're kissing, you know, everything, it would be, you'd be defiled, but you know, you're doing it. And God's stretching your faith. He's stretching your faith, right? Um, so they're begging. And God's going to stretch our faith. God's going to stretch our faith. We're going to identify with these people. 
You know, I was meeting today with a young couple, and I'm so excited with what God's doing in their life. You know, and, uh, but this guy, man, in prison, he came out. You know, they're trying to get their life together, and they're doing so good. They've been clean now for two years, been coming to church. He's been stronger than her, but now she's getting stronger, and it's just beautiful. And he was telling me today about how when he would, just recently he went to his family's house and they were wanting to give him shots, you know, shots of alcohol. And, uh, and he didn't take it. And so later when he went home, his little boy, his little boy said, hey dad, they wanted you to get drunk, huh daddy? And he said, yeah, but I didn't take shots because I don't want you to. And when I heard that, I was like, wow. It's so amazing what God is doing. God is raising the dead. God is setting people free. God is awesome. And as we, you know, well, we might, you know, stretch our faith, but we get to be there with them in the trenches. And it's an, it's an amazing thing. That's what Elisha does. You know, the mom is so blessed. And then we read in verse 38 that Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him and he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. And so one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. And then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pots. And they could not eat it. And so he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. You know, and I was reading this and we're like, What does this mean? And we're like, Again, yeah, just the power of God. And some say the flour might even be symbol of... The, Symbolic of the word of God, and I don't know. You know, we're, you know, we're eating things, but when it's, when it's test, when you test everything by the word, you're going to be okay. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it. The next one probably carries that more. It says a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. How many of you guys like bread? Just out of curiosity, I love bread. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Now what does that remind you of, you Bible scholars? Jesus, huh? There's a connection here. Elijah is kind of symbolic of John the Baptist, and Elisha is kind of symbolic of Jesus. And look at what Jesus can do. Look at what Jesus can do for us in our life. You know, it's just so beautiful. You know, that I hear, you know, he multiplies the bread. They even have some left over. When Jesus fed the people, it says that he, you know they were all so full 
You know, last night I went to a restaurant and I ordered like a fish and shrimp because I didn't want to get all full. You guys know what they're talking about? Like the full feeling? You probably don't like that, huh? Nah. But these guys were all full. They were gluttoned, the Bible says. And then there were 12 baskets left over. See, that's what God does over and above what we would ever begin to imagine. And the only way, and, and I think in reading this, you guys right here, it's not just for information, it's for transformation. We all have to make a choice when we go out that door, when we go home, when we get in our car, whatever it is, when we live our life. Are you going to believe in the Lord or not? Yeah, but I'm not worthy. I know you're not. I know you. <laughs> I'm not able. I messed up. I know. But don't let the devil continue to use those things against you. You get your life right. You repent. You just do the best you can. And you just say, Lord, I'm in your hands. Because he's so, so awesome. He's so powerful. And you close your eyes, he's right there. He's right there. He's here. You know, the, the Elijah and Elisha, they were begging God to, you know, bring life. But Jesus just commanded life. He wasn't, you never saw Jesus begging, huh? When he was doing miracles? No, he wasn't begging when he was doing miracles. He was just saying, hey, you, get out of him, you know? And he'll do that in your life. He'll do that in your life. Because no matter what's going on, we've got to walk by faith and not by sight. I have this story. I don't want to read the whole thing to you because some of you are giving me the, the evil eye. And uh, <laughs> you're like, hey, it's already 8.32. And I respect that. I understand that. But, you know, I'll just tell you the, the short version. Um, there's a song, It Is Well. You guys remember that song? It is well. Yeah, yeah, beautiful song about uh, this individual who, uh, what's his name, Horatio Spafford. And I know most of you probably know the story, so I'm just going to give you the short version. This guy right here was a, a wealthy man, um, but he went through a lot in his life. Uh, his son, when he was four years old, he died. And, you know, scarlet fever. And you're, that's enough for me, you know, to use, lose a four-year-old. I mean, I'm handicapped for life, you know. But, uh, you know, that wasn't it. Uh, he was a wealthy man. He brought a lot of property in Chicago. But uh, what ended up happening was, uh, you guys remember the great fire in Chicago? It burned up all his property. You know, he still had a little bit of money, but, man, he lost virtually everything. And so, um, loved the Lord, he was a Christian man, and everybody would look at him and they would think, you know, this guy right here, it's probably because he's in sin, he's all messed up, right? God's judging him. And be careful when you say stuff like that. So anyways, what ended up happening is uh, he decided to uh, send his family a vacation to Europe, and he was actually going to go and minister with D.L. Moody as well. And in the last minute, he gets a, 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 um, a telegram that he's got to stay for some business. So he has to stay a few more days. He sends his wife and his four daughters ahead. And uh, what ended up happening is in, that, in that, you know, that, that ship en route to Europe, it collides with another liner, and all four of his daughters die. 
how far? So now he lost his son, he lost his money, he lost his daughters. And his wife telegrams him back and she says, I'm the only survivor. And so, you know, just going through that, you know, you're like, man, what a tough place to be. So he has to go and he has to meet his wife. And as he's traveling across the ocean, the captain, at one point, he goes down, he brings him up to the bridge and he says, this is a place where they died. This is a place where they crashed. Three miles deep, right down here. And you're thinking about that. You know, my daughters are down there. My kids are down there. You know? But what does he do? It was at that, that point in time where he writes that classic song, It Is Well. And how could you say that? It is well. Dude, you just you lost your son, you lost your money, you lost your daughters. How could you possibly say it is well? And how's, how could you do it? And the answer is by faith. Right? That's the song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, how wonderful that is. When sorrows like sea billows roll, how hard that is. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And we got to say it by faith. You know, we have to say it by faith, even though it's so hard. When we say it by faith, we're digging trenches. When we say it by faith, we're borrowing vessels. When we say it by faith, God is going to fill those trenches and those vessels and God is going to bless your life. We got to stop believing the lies. And we got to start believing in God again. And so I pray you would. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord, and allowing us to study together. And I just pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for them, Lord. And I just have a feeling that probably all of us, not just one or two or three or four, but I just... All of us, we're just going through the fire, Lord. We're going through the hard times. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that even as this individual, he read the story in 2 Kings chapter 4, this is where he got it from, that it is well, that we would know it is well. It is well with my soul. And so, Lord, I pray you bless every life here. Encourage your people, Lord, and show us, Lord, how to connect the dots, how to walk by faith, Lord, and not by sight. We love you, and I thank you, Lord, so much that every person here is your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Bless them, Lord, like only you We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.